of Holiness podcast with Reverend Carolyn Moore and Reverend Pierce Drake. Join us today as we lean into practical holiness, intergenerational relationships, and supernatural ministry. This is a New Room Network podcast. We're so glad you're here. Let's jump in. Uh, hey, friends, this is Carolyn Moore, and I'm here today without Pierce Drake, who's taking the day off, and I'm really proud of him for that. Um, he's married to my daughter, and he is um, father to my grandchild, and I know that he's out someplace doing something fun with them. That makes me happy. Um, so you and I get to play in a little theology today all by ourselves. Um, we in Georgia have just come through Hurricane Idalia, and by the time it hit me in Augusta, it was just Tropical Storm Idalia, and so a lot of rain, not much else. But if you are in the path of that storm, especially if you're in Florida, I just want you to know that you got a lot of prayers coming your way. I hope that the water recedes and that the damage is minor. We pray for all of you through your uh, hurricane season. Um, so today, we get to talk theology with the uh, a woman of God who is, she's, she's an ordained United Methodist pastor. The world needs more people like Beth Felker Jones. She has a PhD from Duke. She teaches theology at Northern Seminary. Uh, so she's there with, um, Scott, uh, McKnight, who is an, just one of my, I'm a fangirl of his as well. I just like Scott so much. And so she's there with him and a few other people at Northern Seminary whose names you know and I like a lot. Um, she has a dozen books to her credit. You need to look her up on Amazon. She's very prolific. Um, including a seminary staple, Practicing Christian Doctrine, an Introduction to Thinking and Living Theologically. That book is now in its second printing, and that's what actually got us this interview. So thank God for that book. Um, friends, this is a deep and well-studied theologian with a solid following on her site called Church Blogmatics, um, tipping her hat a little bit to Bart. And also, she's just really funny. She's funny. She's got a, she's got a, uh, uh, cat that does catechesis. She's just funny. So follow her on Twitter or wherever, whatever it's called now. Um, and get to know the privilege of having Dwight sit on a table, um, and talk to you, uh, on both social, uh, I guess Twitter and on Facebook. I had the privilege of having him sit on a table next to my book so I can check that off my bucket list. Who doesn't love a faithful, funny, deep, invested in the kingdom woman of God who writes prolifically and contributes richly to the Christian conversation? That's Beth. So listen in. Beth Elker-Jones, welcome. And I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. This one is one I have been so looking forward to both scheduling and being able to do for so long. So I'm a fangirl. It's great to have you on the, on the show. Thank you. <laughs> I'm a fangirl in return. So really glad to be here. <laughs> it's been nice to be able to, to, it's one of the times when social media does what it's supposed to do, right? We've kind of gotten to know each other a little bit that way. So That's thank right. you. And make some good connections. Yeah. Uh, I am a fan of women in academics. I am a fan of women theologians, and you are both of those things. I'm a fan of people who are Wesleyan and they're, and they're leaning. And I have said so often that what you believe matters. 
when I say it, I don't, I don't think of that as a divisive statement at all. I, I think it's a clarifying statement. I think we honor each other best when we understand one another well. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And and for me, that's what makes doctrine theology so powerfully important. So, how about you? How did you fall in love with doctrine? Oh, yeah, that's a fun question. And I think you know, your introduction supposes something which I often find to be true, which is that people think doctrine is divisive, right? Um, and that the point of it is sort of uh, for people to just say, I'm right and you're wrong. Um, uh, I suppose I fell in love with it uh, as. I learned it uh, in seminary, Um, and I think I had a little bit expected theology to be divisive, um, to be about splitting hairs on things that didn't matter, Um, Mm -hmm. but that wasn't the story I met, right? Uh, I met a story of uh, faithful Christians across the centuries um, trying to read scripture well, trying to uh, understand how to be faithful to scripture in varying contexts, uh, how to think well with the intellectual resources of their times and places, um, along with the scriptures. Uh, and I just wanted to jump into that story and and stay in it. And I guess I have. So. That's, that's it. I, mean, it I, I like especially the thought that good theology uh, joins um, a work in progress. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, that that we're not here to make up theology. We're just almost like a rudder to a boat uh, to to keep the church moving toward um, the the kingdom of God. Um, mm-hmm. And oh my goodness, I didn't have. I've, it's been twenty five years since I was in seminary, so I didn't have this book in seminary. But oh, I have loved absorbing everything in uh, your latest edition of Practicing Christian Doctrine, um, Hypostatic Union, which is one of my favorite cool nerd terms, Sanctification, which is one of my favorite Wesleyan terms, Pneumatology, which is one of my favorite Spirit-filled life terms. You even put the lyrics of And Can It Be in the text of this new edition. Asbury's who are listening just sat up and took a bit more notice because that's our song. The final um, in the English language. So. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> When I when I read what you've written here, I find good old solid orthodoxy and what I would call the Wesleyan tradition. But I note that you try to give honor to both Arminian and Calvinist traditions in your discussion of theology. So can you tip your hand if I haven't already done it? <laughs> which are you and which among the Christian doctrines most grounds you personally? Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks for reading. Um, I am certainly a convicted Wesleyan, um, and I do my more uh, particular theology uh, from that standpoint. Uh, the book, Practicing Christian Doctrine, is intended to be um, more broadly uh, for a wider evangelical and ecumenical audience. And so, um I tried to write it uh, in a way that uh, our Reformed sisters and brothers would also find uh, uh, an authentic account uh, of the faith. 
Uh, though that said, there's a lot of reformed intro to theology books out there. Um, so I think a lot of Wesleyans have appreciated one that at least isn't um, anti-Wesleyan uh, exactly. and has, has some appreciation for for the Wesleyan tradition uh, within it. So, oh, oh my uh, goodness, yeah, I and mean, I agree with you completely. The, our our reformed friends have been so much more prolific than we have, and especially in recent years. Um, and so I'm just so grateful to find, as you said, certainly not anti-Wesleyan, but it's just, it, you, I can feel, I can feel Methodism seeping up through the pages of this book because. I think that's probably right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And you asked which doctrine I find most, what did you say? Life-giving perhaps? Um, yeah, which, which among the Christian doctrines most grounds you? Yeah. Oh. Life, it's most life-giving. Yeah. Yeah, most grounds me as a, I could probably make a case for anyone and talk myself into it. But um, this, I think, is a Wesleyan answer. Um, and I'll say pneumatology, uh, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, particularly in terms of grounding and life givingness. It's the Spirit who um, illumines scripture as we read, uh, who leads us to Jesus Christ, who transforms us um, so that we are more and more. Uh, faithful image bearers um, to the Son uh, and his union with the Father. Uh, and pneumatology has been a kind of ongoing discovery for me um, in my my adult life, my uh, career as a theologian. Uh, it wasn't something I focused on particularly in grad school, um, but it was something that I found myself needing to learn more about uh, as I taught and worked. And so uh, it has it has been an ongoing delight um, to dig into the doctrine of the spirit. So. I, I want my Wesleyan friends to um, rewind for for whatever, however, three or four minutes that you've just talked and hear that again. <laughs> <laughs> because it, to be Methodist is to be spirit-filled. That's right. And, and I think we have, I think we have soft-pedaled that side of Methodism, um, although we are the revivalist tradition and the spirit-filled tradition and Wesley's you know, there's a whole book of supernatural occurrences of John Wesley. And so mm -hmm. um, we have plenty to hang our hats on here. And the branches of the Wesleyan family don't all express that the same way, uh, right. right? Some are more um, charismatic, others are far less so uh, in, in expression, but I hope we can recognize in each other um, uh, the power of the Spirit and dependence on uh, the work of the Spirit. So, mm -hmm. I love John Wesley addressing the question of whether um, spiritual gifts have ended, which is a question we still hear, sometimes asked in our time, right? Uh, and he says, uh, it is not that they have ended, it is that our love has grown cold. Um, that's it. And yes. That's very John Wesley, right? Oh. <laughs> yes. So, kind of jumping out of that, our, our podcast focuses on three areas, supernatural ministry, spirit-filled ministry, practical holiness, which I think is another expression of spirit-filled ministry, and intergenerational encouragement, and that kind of comes out of uh, the the um, the fact that Pierce and I do this together. Hmm. Um, so, I'd like to take each of these emphases and run them through the filter of practicing Christian doctrine. So, let's start with supernatural ministry, and my questions um, are really your questions, uh, questions you ask in the section on Pentecostal power and charismatic gifts, 
And so these are your words. I'm going to ask them back to you. Why would we question the powerful gifts of the Spirit in the life of the church? Yeah, <laughs> I love a good rhetorical question, right? <laughs> um, there are, though, I think, reasons, right? Um, uh, there's good reasons, which include the fact that we've seen um, claims about the Spirit used in abusive and manipulative and um, ungodly ways. Uh, so I think sometimes that scares us off. Um, and then I think there's bad reasons that we might question and, and be scared, which is that we don't really want to be transformed. <laughs> we don't really want to have our, mm -hmm. our selfishness challenged. Um, and when, um, when you have lots of possible reasons for something, then it's not surprising that uh, it does happen. Uh, so I want to encourage um, readers as I introduce them to um, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit uh, to think about confidence in the Spirit, uh, while also uh, feeling confident that we have good ways to discern the Spirit's working. And so we don't need to um, just be shy of or shy away from uh, the works of the Spirit because we know the Spirit can be uh, claimed wrongly. Um, instead, we can discern. Um, and where the Spirit is claimed wrongly, or we should discern that and say that. Uh, but it doesn't mean uh, we can't proceed right, with hope and um, confidence. Confidence is a word I like for pneumatology. I love that word for pneumatology because confidence is the more... Confidence is the holy and mature alternative to arrogance. Mm -hmm. I like so, that. Mm -hmm. yeah, so often it seems that uh, spirit-filled living can be accompanied by, you know, you have a couple, have get a couple of healings under your belt, and the next thing you know, you're Facebooking and social media-ing all of your, you know, everything that happened using kind of a false humility. And I mean, I'm, I've been there and done that, so I'm not trying to point fingers at anybody else, but we, we can have a false humility about our spirit-filled activity, mm -hmm. but, but on the, then, then the other end of that spectrum is, um, is, is having too little confidence, uh, to get started. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm reading right now a little tiny prayer book about healing by Francis McNutt, and, and he says, you know, it's, just so simple. Just lay hands on people and pray for them and let the Holy Spirit decide what the Holy Spirit wants to do. He will do what he wants to do. Just just have enough confidence to lay hands on people and pray for them. <laughs> and the Spirit will do what he wants to do, right? Um, yeah, right. People are also put off sometimes by our attempts to uh, claim that we can control or manipulate the Spirit, mm -hmm. uh, which are always wrong attempts right right so the other question i would have comes straight out of your book so i'm asking your words back to you what obstacles stand in the way of our confident embrace of the spirit's power mm -hmm. uh well maybe i'll just talk for myself um and mm -hmm. uh and again with that rhetorical question invite others to consider what their own obstacles might be um but my own uh, fear about transformation uh, is certainly an obstacle uh, to my embrace of the Spirit's power, um, as is my own pride um, and selfishness, uh, my desire to um, live for myself, right, um, and not in the new life that uh, is mine in Christ. And uh, when one 
actively embraces the spirit's power. It's very hard to hold on to those things, um, which sometimes makes me all the more likely to not actively embrace, right? Um, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's just a way to say sin, I suppose. No. <laughs> That's good. That's a good kind of, That's a catch-all word. That kind of gets it all. That's right. <laughs> so in the glorious benediction that ends this edition of Practicing Christian Doctrine, you pray through the sanctifying presence and power of your spirit, we pray that you would make us holy like you are holy. Mm-hmm. How do we live the answer to that prayer? Mm-hmm. Uh, we live it in Christ-likeness, right? Um, mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of Christ. Uh, Christ, Jesus is himself, uh, holiness embodied, right? Um, on earth and in heaven. Uh, and as the spirit works in our lives, uh, we'll look more and more like Jesus. Um, and we also live that through uh, a lifetime um, spent growing deeper in knowledge of the scriptures uh, authored by the spirit, which point us to Christ um, and help then in that shaping that ongoing discernment, um, that ongoing process of joyful and sometimes painful um, growth uh, that um, I think we all continue to experience throughout the Christian life. Yeah. That ongoing work, I don't, I don't think we really understand until you've been in it for decades. Mm-hmm. You know, then, then you start to get, oh my goodness, it is a very much a water dripping on rock kind of shaping, mm-hmm. isn't it? Mm-hmm. And uh, as you look back, you really begin to see, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not who I was. Indeed. Um, yeah. Well said. Yeah. So how does sound doctrine um, and when I say that, when I say that phrase sound doctrine, I'm the, the song that comes to my mind is that one by, um, I think it's, uh, David and, uh, David and Melissa Helser, uh, called a sound mind. It's a, it's a mm. glorious song. I've heard that. It yeah. Um, it's not super familiar, but yeah, it's a glorious song. Um, so how does sound doctrine help us define what holy living looks like? And what are some ways we can practice Holiness. That's one of our, it's one of our things at the art of holiness. I mean, obviously holiness is the whole thing at the heart of holiness, but one of our, our three threads is practical holiness. So how do we, what are some ways we can practice holiness? So I think we we most often assume doctrine um, is intellectual and rational, right? Uh, it's mm-hmm. a set of beliefs that we can articulate, um, mm-hmm. and it is that. Uh, and you know, so I can articulate that I believe in the Triune God, and, and that is doctrine. Um, but doctrine is bigger than that. It's rational and emotional and gut and heart and mind and body and soul. Um, and when our, when I articulate that I believe in the triune God, um, that's lived out in relationship to that God, right? Uh, more than being uh, a belief or a statement, uh, the doctrine of the Trinity is a relationship, um, a relationship which is transforming, right? As the spirit uh, shapes us into the likeness of Christ um, and a relationship um, in which we don't just say, I believe this, uh, we enter into worship, right? So mm-hmm. the doctrine of the Trinity um, 
I, I say in the, the textbook, um, is about worship, right? It's about who we worship. It's about worshiping mm-hmm. the triune God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the results of knowing and living that doctrine um, is worship and praise, right? Uh, it also helps us to discern uh, when we're speaking of and being tempted to worship false gods uh, rather than the only holy God of Israel. Oh. That's, that's one answer, right? I, I, I think there's lots of other answers, but so uh-huh. just thinking um, embodied life together um, with God and each other uh, shaped by the Christian faith, the Christian story, um, which is again, another way to say doctrine. Yes. So uh, do you sense that the average Christian really gets it that we are embodying doctrine when we live our Christian lives? I, I doubt it, um, though I think the average Christian probably is embodying doctrine in living their Christian lives. And I mean, maybe I'm an optimist here, but I like to think that most Christians want to know more about doctrine um, and would welcome it if we offered richer teaching, deeper teaching, right? More meat and less milk um, for those who are ready uh, for for meat. Um, I think a lot of people are scared of the idea of doctrine or theology because it's been presented as this um, realm set apart for super nerdy book people and not for average people, or it's been presented as a divisive thing that just leads to hurt and, and tension. Um, but uh, if you if you fill people in on the beauties of the doctrine of the Trinity, in my experience, they're usually quite interested um, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. want to know more. Um, so I would love for the average Christian to um, have a different understanding of what doctrine might be, um, and uh, I would hope that that might then whet appetites for learning more. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of going deeper in in my thought right now about what it means to embody. Doctrine. I'm remembering a someone who came through our church years ago. She was uh, teaching on, you know, just kind of really how we understand our bodies and how how we use and misuse both our bodies and other people's bodies. And she made the comment. She said, "We are not pornographic. We are theographic. Mm-hmm. Um, and that theology. We are. We are. We are written theologies. We are. You know, we are <laughs> embodied <laughs> theologies. And um, so I wonder does does that does that resonate with you? It does. I, I've sometimes mm. played with the idea of the icon, um, which mm. isn't a thing that many Protestant Christians use, right? But the theology of the icon is that um, there can be physical things like an image or a body um, through which we may um, encounter the presence of God. Um, and I have an art teacher friend who who told me once that. Um, uh, pornography stops you where it is, right? You only look there, you don't look past it. Um, and that art asks you to look past it, right? On, to ah. something else, to the world. Um, and an icon asks you to look past it to God, right? Um, perhaps to the world and and to God. So I, I don't know, I could get on a riff here, I think, but um, you know, our culture would like our bodies to be mostly pornographic. Um, and I'd like us to challenge that with an iconographic uh, idea of what it means, right? To, to live the human life, um, to make the death of Jesus visible in our bodies, right? as Paul would have it. That's, oh, okay, so let's do that. Let's yes, do yes, that. Let's, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's mm-hmm. just do it. 
maybe the third the third leg of our values kind of gets at that. It's intergenerational encouragement. And that's a way that we begin to embody the Christian faith and pass it along to the next generation. Um, I can find several intersections when I read your book um, with Christ, with how the intersections between Christian doctrine and interge- intergenerational encouragement. The, the nature of our Trinitarian God reflects that kind that value of relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all about relationship. It reminds us that we are you know, the Christian life is not meant to be lived in a vacuum. We're not mm-hmm. islands unto ourselves. Um, our practice of doctrine as creatures. I, I, there's some heading inside here in your book somewhere that practice being creatures, or maybe it's just a sentence. I, I was very moved by that thought to practice mm-hmm. being a creature. It teaches us that creation is an integrated thing. Creatures don't live in a vacuum. Creatures live in communities. We are, we, we are in relationship with our creator as a creature. Um, and as we practice being the church, we can trust and rejoice in people who are broken but have the potential for redemption, really paying attention to each other. I think paying attention is a big part of this um, intergenerational piece. Are, are there other ways that doctrine encourages us to, toward intergenerational, or maybe the better word is community living, communal in the intergenerational sense of that? Or is there more to say than I've said here? Yeah, thanks for drawing out those beautiful implications. Um, I think you know the charge for intergenerational community uh, or remembering intergener- intergenerationalness in our community living uh, is yeah. such an important one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, as a teacher, uh, the need for it is something. Um, I have heard often from younger students, undergrads, right, uh, who feel the loss of being around children and older people when they're uh, in college with just people their age, and from seminarians, right, uh, adults who are um, uh, deep in church and community life to really feel that need um, and have often uh, sort of pushed against the ways that um, the church is not meeting that need. So I think the doctrine of the church, maybe it's a super obvious one here, but um, really calls us to this. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I try to do in the book is help us to think about both the unity and the diversity of the church, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we often pit those things against each other is that you have to choose either unity or diversity. Um, but I think we see an image of church and scripture, uh, which always includes both, right? And so um, to reach towards the diversity of intergenerational life, right? Um, not just people my age, but a, but a diverse life um, doesn't mean a, a loss or a lack of unity, um, but it is actually necessary to that unity, mm-hmm. right? If the whole body were a hand, et cetera, um, right? Uh, I think plays plays in there. Um, I think we're all we're all hungry for more church, um, and it's really hard because almost all of us have had bad experiences with church because sin, right? Um, but it's still God's way of asking us to be together in the world, right? Uh, for the sake of of the gospel, um, and. Uh, it's designed uh, to have us all together. Um, yeah. Right. No. Right. Especially in, in this most recent season when deconstruction has become kind of a buzzword and a thing. Um, it's been even easier than usual. And I think it's always been pretty easy, but even easier than usual to bash the church. Yeah. Um, I love yeah. I love Jesus, the church, not so much, or I love Jesus, Christians, not so much, to quote Gandhi. And um yeah. and um and I 
I, I have, I don't give people a pass on that. Um, because if, if you're, you really don't, you really can't say you love Jesus and not love the thing he has given us, not love his bride. Um, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, it's super yeah. important to name the sin and abuse that the church right. perpetuates and to um, look for something better. Uh, but but we can't do this without church. It's, it's built into the story. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah. that makes things hard for, for probably all of us. Um, but it's a hard that I think... Mm-hmm. Um, is worth it uh, and tells the story of redemption, right? Um, right. It's yeah, not, and this seems like this seems like a place where uh, sound doctrine becomes incredibly important uh, to healthy community life because if you have a weak ecclesiology, and mm-hmm. I will say, when I was in seminary twenty five years ago, there was no course on ecclesiology. I guess we were just supposed to know it when we saw it, mm-hmm. um, but. But we we we've so so many people enter the pastorate without having developed a a, a theology of of the church, mm-hmm. a theology of the gathered body, mm-hmm. um, and and my goodness, we we suffer and we cause people to suffer when we do that because we'll we'll feed their rebellion, uh, we'll 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 feed their worst nature, we'll feed their laziness and allow them to sit on the sofa instead of really understanding the importance of flesh and blood in the body of Christ. Yeah, right? it's flesh and blood in the body of Christ for sure. Um, I think you know Protestants have often been accused of not paying enough attention to the church, and there's probably some uh, legit legitimacy right to that accusation. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. I'm excited to teach a class this fall on the mission of the church uh, for MDiv students at, at Northern Seminary, where I teach. Um, and I am happy that that has a sort of corner keystone place in our curriculum, right? Um, mm-hmm. uh, we don't want our MDiv students uh, to even really begin very far their education without thinking really seriously about the nature and mission of the church. Um, yeah. And church is hard questions are maybe the biggest questions of the generation, I think. So we have to wrestle with those together. That's really good. So I want to go a little sideways just for a minute because there's a, there's something that I um, that I found in your book that I, I I'm just very taken by the way you said it. Um, it's it's an excerpt. It's page one seventy four. If you if, if you at home are have the book in front of you <laughs> from a section on gendered language. And I just want to read this. The the God of Scripture cannot be depersonalized. We see this in the love shared between Father, Son, and Spirit. To extend the masculine pronoun for Father and Son, He, to the Spirit, is an acknowledgement of God's triunity and of the Spirit's personal nature. We see this implicit in the Gospel of John, where the word spirit, a neuter pronoun, or excuse me, a neuter noun in Greek, is personalized through a shift to the masculine personal pronoun. This is not because the spirit is male, he's not, but because the spirit is personal. Mm-hmm. Here's why I'm interested in this passage particularly. It offers freedom to, it seems to for me, it offers freedom in an age of anxiety to do the thing that makes the most sense. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it reminds us that no matter how sensitive we want to be to the culture around us, there will be times when the countercultural choice is not just the most biblically defensible, but also the most freeing. Mm-hmm. So where else do you see American Christians trying to practice Christian doctrine the hard way 
when the alternative is not just simpler, but also more theologically sound? Whew, that's a big question. Yeah. Uh, thank you for reading that passage uh, as, as one of freedom. Um, you know, it's my own way through a really complicated debate. Um, and I don't think there's only one right way to get through that debate. Right. Um, but right. But we, there is a right way to think theologically about God, and then that is that God is personal. Um, and so we should be talking about God that way. Um, so I think that is, is the heart of the thing. Um, the fact that there are right ways to talk about God and wrong ways um, that we really need to claim um, as Christians. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to do it with humility. We have to do it acknowledging our limits. We have to do it remembering that scripture is very difficult to interpret and we don't all agree about certain things. Right? But nonetheless, like God has revealed truth to us um, about uh, the nature and uh, being uh, of um, Father, Son, and Spirit. And that is the truth in which we live and move and have our being. And to talk otherwise is sad and hopeless and uh, yeah, self, self-defeating. So mm-hmm. um, I think finding ways to talk about truth um, in a culture that is very uh, nervous about truth claims uh, for some good reasons, right? They've been used wrongly. They've been used to hurt people. They've been claimed when the thing being claimed is not actually truth. There's good reasons for the nervousness. And yet, right? Um, God has made himself known to us uh, in scripture and in Jesus Christ. uh, And we, we need to embrace that truth with confidence. So. Yeah, it just seems as if the, 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 I mean, you know, it's a pendulum swing, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's a misuse on one end, and so we all swing so far to the other end. And in, in some ways, I, I I hope we're on the downside of wokeness now, but in some ways that that pendulum swing toward wokeness was not, it was a good thing. And that we, okay, wait a minute, you can't just plow over people. You do need to recognize their stories and their um, and their lives and to see them. Matter, look, yeah. Yeah, right. To look them in the face and see them for who they are. Um, but there is also an overcompensation that can take us in, in directions that, that make that make it too hard and that actually feed brokenness rather than feeding into health. If we can't, if we're so frightened <laughs> to live together, right? Um, so frightened of saying the wrong thing or, or or not getting it right that we just avoid each other entirely um which i think is one of those ways of of being scared to talk about truth right yes um uh, yeah maybe you're saying you know everything good has a bad <laughs> that, that goes that's it. it um and i think that's a lot it. of theology is about pendulum swings too right mm. um so a simple one well it's not simple but jesus is god and human right um at some places in church history one gets emphasized in some places the other uh you always need both but sometimes if one is being underemphasized you have need to push the other a little bit and if that goes too far you'll find yourself needing to swing back to the other side right it's it's always a both hand um uh, a wholeness uh to the truth if you will yes um, that we're seeking yeah that really commands humility doesn't mm. it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I might yeah. not ever get it all right. Truth but, and humility together. That's that's the trick, right? Yeah. That's it. <laughs> yeah. So in your in that same closing prayer that I referenced in a, um, a few moments ago, uh, in the, that closing prayer for the practice of Christian doctrine, you make this plea, draw us from distance to discipleship. 
Ah, I just sat in that. I, I mean, I sat in that for several minutes. Mm. Beth, I have to tell you that yeah. draws from distance to discipleship. That would make such a beautiful breath prayer. If someone was, was looking for a breath prayer right now, uh, what, what a beautiful breath prayer that could be. Um, I want to make that my personal prayer. I want to make that the prayer of my people. Lord, draw us from distance to discipleship. It's profound. I, I wonder what hopes, personal hopes for you are beneath that prayer. Mm-hmm. Well, I spoke a little bit earlier about my own um, tendency sometimes to avoid God, to avoid the Spirit, right, when I um, don't want to be changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, personally, um, um, I hope that God will help me to overcome that distancing, right? It's me doing the distancing, not mm-hmm. not God. Um, I hope uh, that within the church, we might overcome distances between groups in the church, different churches, all the things we use, right, to, to put walls between us when we're called to be one uh, in Christ. Um, uh, I think when I wrote this line, um, I was thinking about, is it Ephesians? I'm not always perfectly good at remembering where my references come from, but perhaps <laughs> Ephesians, uh, you who are one <laughs> off, right, have been brought near. Yes. Um, that's, that's God's word to the Gentiles, right? Uh, the ones who were, were not um, a part of the people of God, um, but who have been knitted in. And so I think my biggest hope here is that, you know, we who are Gentiles and who have been been brought near um, might invite others to come near as well um, uh, so that uh, uh, the good news of intimacy, right, uh, with, uh, with God um, might be extended to others who are far off. So well said. Someone's going to tell me yeah. it's not Ephesians. Someone can correct me if I, where, where <laughs> somewhere in Paul. <laughs> That's right. right. Yeah. Email me or text me. Don't text her. Text me. I love that line in, in a Fiddler on the Roof where he says, somewhere, somebody said something about something. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> that's the way I spend a lot of my, or, or, or that's how I reference a lot of my thoughts. Somewhere, <laughs> somebody said something about something. That sounds right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I have one other question for you, and that's this one. What, what's, what's most, what are you most optimistic about in the world of, of um, Christian academics? And what are you most optimistic about in the Church of Jesus Christ uh, in the United States, globally, however you want to answer that question? Mm-hmm. I mean, truthfully, I have a lot of fears in, in both of those areas. Uh, but as a Wesleyan, I try to lean on optimism uh, mm-hmm. about what grace can do uh, in the spirit. And it's my students who make me optimistic about the church. Um, mm. uh, the incredible beauty of their persons and what God is doing um, in them, in their personalities, in their their embodied lives, in their communities and churches and neighborhoods and, and so on. Um, uh, if I am ever in a despair sort of mood, I just need to teach a class um, and my students will make me hope for the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, God is, is raising up um, powerful and gifted sons and daughters, right, to, to continue gospel work in the world. In Christian academics, 
I'm hopeful um, about a kind of freedom in doing theology that I think is a relatively new thing that involves putting personal experience, context, identity, gender, race, class, if you want, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a freedom to put that stuff together with what has more traditionally been thought of as as classic theology doctrine, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, these things have often been done separately. Uh, identity theology over here and doctrine theology over here. Uh, I think they're coming together for a lot of people mm. um, in ways that let us be honest about how God works um, in context and hopeful about how God works in context and um, bring theology, you know, down to earth, right? Down to the level of our experiences Mm -hmm. um, and not pretend it's floating up somewhere uh, disconnected from us, right? So I hope some of the old kind of genre divisions in theology are are dissolving um, between, say, I don't know, liberation and dogmatic theology or Mm -hmm. pastoral and practical and systematic theology or... Lots of other, lots of other genre distinctions too. I think it's fun mm-hmm. when those blend um, mm-hmm. and interesting things happen. And um, so, in addition to genre distinctions, there's also gender distinctions in academics. Indeed, uh, has mm-hmm. has has the has the the theological. I guess uh, I don't even know how to ask the question. I guess what I'm really asking has is um, has has academia become christian academia become more hospitable for women who are especially women theologians i think it's always a yes and no i mean certainly enormous progress has been made right um if you look at some of the top names in my um sort of particular discipline systematic theology right now uh, many of them are women uh ordained women right Mm. uh sarah coakley uh catherine sonderegger um uh, Janet Saskis, uh, not ordained, but um, but brilliant. Um, so I, I think we see that right the the freedom women have finally found right uh, to be published alongside men and heard alongside men in all these ways. Um, I think that one of the ways sin typically works in this world is. Um, misogyny uh, uh, that that the world is bent um, to a kind of despising of of women and I think in every profession and calling um, and work at home and work outside the home um, every woman is going to be subject to that to some extent Um, and certainly it can be frustrating in a profession which is trying to get better um, to see Mm -hmm. an ongoing you know work Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, I, I, I do think it's a both end. It would be it would be bizarre to say there's been no progress. Um, and also there are days that are hard, you know. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it's really um, lovely to be in a um, self-consciously egalitarian institution. That helps a lot. Um, and uh, I think when women are looking at where they want to study, um, women, women and men should think seriously about how a seminary or a school um, is working to nurture uh, both women and men uh, who mm-hmm. come. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, 
completely agree that we do we we do the whole subject a, a a much better service when we understand it as an issue of human fallenness and not an issue mm-hmm. it's not a cultural issue mm-hmm. we know this because it's a global and it spans across history it's always been this way this is an issue of human fallenness this is three right the the, the result right. and name at least three maybe four or five things that are related to how men and women relate to each other badly <laughs> because of said right so. exactly exactly so um when we can acknowledge that this is an issue of human fallenness and not some cultural issue we're going to champion and conquer today mm-hmm. um then then we're able maybe more sensitively to care for and nurture individuals mm-hmm. <laughs> That's um, a, oh, yeah and then i hope alongside that with the optimism of grace right um uh, that we don't think we're stuck with the fallenness um, and that we can can work for better for everybody absolutely absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. um i wonder if you would grace us by reading over us the benediction that closes your book the whole benediction is that right yes yes okay. that's just beautiful no that's, that's very very kind of you. Um, uh, I wanted to end the book this way because theology is prayer, right? Um, and these were the prayers that the Lord was putting on my heart um, in regard to the various doctrines. So uh, I have the first edition here, but I don't think this changed in the second edition. So uh, shall I read? Yes. All right, then. Uh, a prayer for the practice of Christian doctrine. Holy God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be with your people as we seek your face. As it pleases you, Lord, use doctrine as a teacher for your people, opening our eyes to whatever is good, true, and beautiful. Take our lives and make us witnesses to your goodness, truth, and beauty, so that the world may see your love and mercy. Lord, empower the discipline of theology. Wrench us out of ivory towers and lead us into your world. Shape us for faithful practice of doctrine and give us power for that practice. Illumine the darkness of our ignorance. Shape us in trusting confidence in the truth of your revelation. Make us grateful for the sweetness of your word and drive us to the scriptures again and again. Free us from doubt and unbelief and from the hopelessness that would give up on knowing you. Shatter our idols, Lord, and lead us to worship you. Let us know your triune goodness and help us to give praise to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in all that we do. Break us of our habits of disdain for your creation. Shape us, Lord, as people who delight in your world. Make us faithful stewards, helping us to exercise the servant dominion we have learned from Christ. Make us truly human, God. When we try to find our identity in other people, in career or success or power, free us for confident identity in Christ. Restore your image in us so that we may be faithful witnesses to your grace. Come to us in our loneliness when we feel that you are far away and let us know that you are the God who is with us and for us in the most mundane realities of human life. Let us grow in intimacy with Jesus and draw us from distance to discipleship. We need you, God, to set us free from the tyranny of self-righteousness. Rescue us from the clutches of sin and death 
and let us know instead the salvation that is ours through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Free us from our bonds to sin, from doing what we hate. Through the sanctifying presence and power of your spirit, we pray that you would make us holy like yourself. Challenge our selfish individualism and divisiveness, O God, and knit us together in the body of Christ. Make us one body and let us be a visible witness in the world. Lord God, release us from meaninglessness and let us find meaning and purpose in you. Trusting in the power of the resurrection, the truth that our lives matter now and will matter in the kingdom that is to come. Put us to kingdom work, Lord, and make us thirsty for you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Oh, dear listeners, I sure hope you can absorb that blessing for and, and truly uh, reach for the depths of everything that's been expressed there. It comes from the heart of uh, one of my favorite theologians, and I'm just grateful, so grateful that you've given us time and given us your heart today. Thank you. Really honored to be with you. Thank you. I, I can't believe I have to say this before we leave. I can't believe I didn't even ask about the theology cat. Please tell <laughs> Dwight that actually he's the one I'm most enamored of. Well, I'm so glad you like my Dwight. So, yeah. <laughs> um, my, my cat. Uh, does theology on my social media feeds a bit so feel free to find us on online uh hashtag hashtag theology cat yeah nobody nobody does catechesis like Dwight so um uh so uh my best to him and thank you thank you thank you for being with us thanks really lovely to be here Oh, y'all, I have to tell you, I was, I was, we had a little bit of a time getting on, uh, getting the conversation started for this podcast because time zones. I am very familiar with the whole thing about getting in the wrong time zone. She's in Chicago time. I'm in Eastern time. And so, uh, it took us a minute and I was sitting there thinking, I have prepared so well for this conversation because she is, such a, I mean, I just love Beth Valker Jones. I like her work. Um, I like this book, Practicing Christian Doctrine. And so I can't tell you how grateful I was when we finally connected up and we made the time zones happen at the same time. That's probably more than you needed to know. I just have to tell you on the other side of this conversation, I was really, I am just so excited. I'm excited for what we got to do for the things we got to talk about. She handled it all so beautifully. Um, so let's just unpack a couple of things that she said. I want to help you remember a couple of things. The first one was confidence in the spirit. Um, that word, she said, she, she had a particular love for the word confidence. I do too. I have a particular love for the word confidence. Um, to be confident in the spirit, but not arrogant. I think that takes a little practice because we're, we're never so excited as the first time something spiritual has happened to us. Supernatural, you know, like the first time we see someone healed or the first time we experience the manifestation of the spirit. We want to, we, we, we can too easily lean toward arrogance and our desire to be counted among those who have seen, have done, have experienced. Um, so learning that quiet confidence in the spirit, 
Uh, what a gift that can be to the community you're in when you are not afraid to lay hands on someone and yet you're not, you're not arrogant about it. Um, not willing to live for myself, but willing to live confidently for Jesus. I love that. Um, I really liked everything she had to say about practicing holiness, that it's not just intellectual and rational. It's, it's gut and emotion. I, I love that a theologian uses the word gut when they talk about practicing holiness because it is, it's gut and emotion. It's, it's, and, and when I say emotion, I'm talking healthy emotion. It's using your emotions in a holy way. I, I can't wait. Later this year, we'll be interviewing Becky Castle Miller, um, who's doing a whole thing around, um, around, uh, Jesus and emotion. And, um, so, yeah, it's, it's relationship. It's worship. It's embodied life. We are embodied doctrine. Have you, have you thought of yourself truly as a living icon walking through this life as, as, um, as, as a theographic being who is pointing people through you to Jesus? Oh, there's just so much there. How rich and how deep. And then we talked about ecclesiology. Do you have a strong theology of the gathered body? Have you even considered that before? Um, we've talked about this on this podcast before, the theology of the gathered body. Um, I encourage you to, to, uh, dig back into that. Um, and, and, and where for an oversensitive, for an oversensitivity to culture, are you practicing Christian doctrine the hard way and doing damage to the body of Christ in the in the process? So how do we find ways to talk about truth that are life-giving, not overcorrecting? I, I loved our whole the whole part of our congregate, uh, excuse me, our conversation there. So she ended with all those hopes and then with her um her beautiful doxology or benediction over us. Um, I encourage you to rewind and, and just let that benediction just pour over you again. I particularly love that line to go from distance to discipleship. That's, that's the work of good theology to take us from distance to discipleship. Theology doesn't distance us. Good theology doesn't distance us from Jesus. It takes us into the heart of God. Good theology helps us get where we need to go. So we're no longer doing Christian Christianity the hard way. And that would be my prayer for you. My prayer for you is to go from distance to discipleship. Friends, thank you for listening today. Thank you for being part of, uh, of our Art of Holiness community. May God bless you with every spiritual blessing as you go from distance to discipleship. Amen.